This is iFanboy Booksplode Kingdom Come. People try to put us to death. Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. Things they do look awful. Talking about my generation. I hope I die before I get old. Talking about my generation. Hello, welcome to my fanboy Booksplode Kingdom Come. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And we are talking about Kingdom Come. Thanks to the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They unlocked this show for all to enjoy. So if you want to support the show, consider going to patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can help unlock more great content for everybody. I hate that stupid word. We're going to talk about Kingdom Come. This is the uh, one of the seminal DC... Well, it was an Elseworlds book originally. My trade paperback still has the Elseworlds logo on it, so that's what we're going to call it. Elseworlds comics that came out in 1996, first issue form, and then later in, in many, 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 many collected editions. I own two. I own the trade and the, the absolute, and I used to own the issues, but I gave those away. This is one of those seminal DC books. I think the reason why we're talking about it is because... And correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, is because we talked about Batman Superman World's Finest that came up a connection to kingdom come people yelled at us because we missed it and it was like hey we haven't read that in like over a decade we should probably revisit that and so that's probably it's more than that for me i actually was like i was kind of surprised i don't own this wow i did not have a printed copy of it and what i thought was interesting is that i so when i started reading comics again you were there Mm -hmm. you were there and you were there there, and you were there too (laughs) like this was fresh uh, I want to say, I think I started reading in 97 again, and this had come out in 96. And so this was sort of the most recent big deal book, I feel like. Big deal DC book, for sure. Yeah. The context being 96, 97, that's a weird time in comics. Yeah. Well, that's what this whole thing's about, right? Right, right. Like, it, it, like it had all come crazy. You, 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 you may not know this, but this is, you know, after, I don't mean you, Connor, you no. know. But after, you know, the, the boom, the speculators market, image comics, you know, comics crashed hard and to our minds i know that connor agrees with me is that a new golden age was born mm-hmm. and it's fair to as say, often happens when there's disaster like yes that. And, I, and i don't i don't know if this is the sort of beginning of it but it's definitely a part of the earliest movement of it and so this was a big deal and i remember you know you, you should read this when i started and what i found uh back then was i didn't i don't think i really had the context to enjoy it oh yeah I don't think I ever quite appreciated it the way I should have. I probably read it again at some point when we were doing our video show or something like that. But I don't really remember. I feel like it's been an awful long time since I read it. It's it's not unfamiliar. When I was reading it, I was like, okay, I've definitely read this. But it's been such a long time, and I am such a different reader now mm-hmm. that uh, it's pretty much like reading it again for the first time, I think. So this is 1996, right? This comes out in May, okay? So early middle of the year. Mm-hmm. This is the same year that saw the end of Sandman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the same year that saw first issue of Hitman. This is the same year mm-hmm. of DC versus Marvel, that crossover. This is the same year of the first issue of Batman Black and White, which is a sort of more prestige look at comics. This is the year of the end of the run on Captain America, Fantastic Four, and Avengers, and Iron Man, because then this is the year of Heroes Reborn as well. So this is a very goofy year of comics it's Mm -hmm. like the two eras are fighting over what this is going to be because you got a lot of interesting progressive in terms of comic book storytelling books that come out but also 
sort of the last gasp of the bad times, which is the early 90s. And you've got the first issue of Batman Long Halloween this year. Yeah. And there's a lot of great things that are coming out of the ashes of Josh said of, you know, not just a financial bankruptcy, but let's face it, a lot of creative bankruptcy in comics in yes. the early 90s. I only realized when I started talking about all this, by the way, I was like, oh, this is not even, it's not even a subtle metaphor. No, it's the not. Of these comics. It's, <laughs> no. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, this is right on the nose. So, let's talk about it. Kingdom Come was a four-issue prestige miniseries. That means the issues were, they were like square bound. They were like double-sized. Shiny, thick cover. As a DC fan myself, you can only imagine that, A, when this came out, I was overjoyed. And B, I think when we did our very first iFanboy video show, way back when, I don't even know what year that was, 2007? Six. Six? Six. Their first episode was top five. We picked our top five trade paperbacks, like Desert Mm -hmm. Island paperbacks, and this was on my list. I'm going to not ask you now, but I'm going to ask you at the end if this is still there. Sure. So, as Josh said, we were in a dark time. In comics, and it was still going on. Like I said, Heroes Are Born still had to happen at the same time, which is, you know, sort of mind-blowing. But in the early 90s, I think there was a feeling amongst comic publishers that the traditional heroes weren't cool anymore. Or that at least the traditional way of telling their stories wasn't cool anymore. And they started doing a lot of things to try to change that and make the heroes more contemporary, more of the time. That's when Superman died, came back, grew a ponytail. That's when you had the whole Nightfall storyline with Batman breaking his back and uh, Osriel taking over as the more badass armored Batman. Like, that's when Captain America dies and, you know, before he's wearing armor. Like, this is the whole attempt to make everything edgy and extreme. This is sort of the natural extension and somewhat conclusion of 1986. 1986 in comics is Dark Knight Returns and The Watchmen and and other things where comics aren't for kids anymore. So this is as that sort of culminates in a bad way. It's funny because comics over kids anymore does two things is, and I'm simplifying greatly. It fucks up superhero comics yes, and it gives rise to vertigo comics and what image would become. Right. And so it's not worth it to paint it all with one brush like this was bad, but in terms of superhero comics, it took a left turn down a dark alley where that's probably not advisable. And so you have two creators. Alex Ross blew up a few years earlier with the Marvel's miniseries he did with Kurt Busiek that took a sort of street-level view of the beginnings of the Marvel Universe as if it would happen in the 60s. There was also an old man who was the focal point of that as well. Am yeah. I correct? Well, old man. That's he weird. was a photographer for the paper, but he was right. just a regular well. man. And then a few years later comes this book. And, you know, I love Marvel's... When it came out, I remember meeting both Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek at the New York Comic Con again to sign my issue. And so hearing he was coming over to DC to tell sort of a universe-defining story set in their Elseworlds, you know, I was really excited for. Mark Wade's a writer, but Alex Ross was the originator of this project. He he right. came up with a 40-page outline. He pitched it to other writers first. It settled with Mark Wade. You know, you could, you could play the what-if game. What if James Robinson had written it as he was pitched? But Mark Wade is the writer to write this story. Because this story is all about, in the grand old comics cliche, bringing everybody back to basics. And showing why, in the face of this early 90s extreme badassery, the old school heroes with their old school values and old school ways were better. I mean, that's the theme of this book. As Josh said earlier, it's like, it's on the nose. It's right there. Yeah. And it's it's really about reclaiming the DC universe from how far Stray had gone. And the irony is, it was still a Stray as this was being published, and it would still be a Stray for a little while longer until sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. And I think 
to say it that way is true, but it also simplifies it a little bit because the superheroes, the old school superheroes, had clearly lost their way over the course of this book. They need to work it out amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of this story isn't so much the old versus the new, but it's the old trying to figure out how to be relevant. Like they get their mojo back, basically. Right. I think that that's probably the more interesting aspect of the whole thing, as opposed to just like they face off against Magog and then fight. It's a death. To, it, and it's not that. It's much more complicated. Oh, it's totally than complicated. That. Yeah. Yeah. So the story is that in the future, the children of the heroes and villains of our current time, the time if you were reading the comics, they're out of control. The kids are the problem, Marty. What, do they become assholes? They spend all their time fighting each other, and they destroy everything, and they destroy people's lives, and they don't really care about saving humanity as, as much as just, you know, being cool and being in constant battle with one another. The older heroes have, for the most part, retired. Some are still around. We'll get to those. But for the most part, Superman has left because of a tragedy, and with him went many of the classic heroes and, and their ethos. And so now, at the time of impending Armageddon, and there's a lot of religious imagery and subtext here and text, this one man, Norman (laughs) McKay, a preacher... There's subtext, but there's also very clearly text. (laughs) Norman McKay, an old preacher who is modeled after Alex Ross's father, uh, is visited by the specter who says, you have to help me stop Armageddon because it's coming. And, you know, reading this book again... You know, the knock on DC from some people is that the DC heroes are like self-serious and, and like godlike and as opposed to the Marvel heroes who are on the ground and, and relatable. And I disagree with that very vehemently. However, this story is that. This yeah. is this version of DC, this sort of heroes as gods. I do want to back up for a second and say that one of the reasons why I was so excited for this book when it originally came out was because if you ask me as a kid, probably even now, one of my favorite types of story is the possible future ending of the heroes like i love those mm-hmm. stories i love dark Knight returns i love old man logan armageddon mm-hmm. 2001 if you tell a story set in the future of the possible end of the heroes the end of the story i'm all in it's one of my favorite genres it's one of my favorite genres it's one of my favorite tropes whatever you want to call is it, it a subgenre? trope works i love it i love it i love it as a kid i love it now so for me Premise. this tone works because this is sort of a very serious story if dc was like this all the time it'd be terrible but yes for this particular story, I love the tone of it. I love how serious and, and dour it is. I love how there's this pall that hangs over the whole thing of this the sense of doom and death. In that sense, I love the tone of this particular story. I mean, to that end, I think, if you were to ask me, and I didn't know, Josh, who wrote this? Right. I don't think I could say it's Mark Wade. Now, no? Mark Wade was not the fully formed Mark Wade now that we would have known then. But I don't know. This is classic Mark Wade to me. I know it is, but, like, there's a bit in here where Superman is not... I mean, he'd already written The Flash for years at this point. Yeah, but, like, Superman lost his faith in this, and that never happens. Mm-hmm. And to me, I feel like Mark Waid is the guy who does Superman, and there are truths about him. And maybe this has something to do with the fact that, you know, Alex Ross conceived of this. But I did keep going back to the fact that I was like, this Superman is broken, and I don't think I see that very often. And I don't think of seeing that as from Mark Wade. I think it's one of those things where, like, the flavor of what Alex Ross brought to this made it different than what I would just normally expect of a Mark Wade story. And I, I don't mean any of that in a bad way. I, I mean it as a compliment, actually. Because I, you know, he's got great range, but it's bleak mm-hmm. in turn. Not bleak like you know, like the comics that they are portraying. Not bleak like the Watchmen, but just this is like this death of hope, which is the entire point of Superman. 
you know, in my mind. And, you know, they, they get it back at the story. But as I'm reading through it, and even having read it before, I really, I was like, I don't know, are they going to lose here? Because it, it really felt like we were never sure what was actually going to happen in this story. You know, it's superhero comics, so we should be. But I really felt a sense of unease through the entire thing. Narratively, good way, not in a bad way. I mean, they kind of lose. They win and they lose. Sure, you know? sure. By the end of it, most everybody's dead in terms of the heroes. Mm -hmm. But to respond to what you're saying, I think that for a story like this, you have to take Superman to a place he's not been before. Because if you just have Superman here, yeah. never gives up hope, never gives up faith, is never scared, then the story doesn't happen because he doesn't need to. But here, you know, That's Lois is killed by the Joker. He kills most people at Daily Planet. But it's not just that. It's that this new hero in the scene, Magog, who's like the tougher you know, more badass version of him in a way that was, it's willing to do the things that Superman won't, i.e. kill people like the Joker. The public's all on Magog's side, right? Or Magog, I don't know what mm -hmm. the fuck, however you say it. I was always confused about Magog versus, and there's a Gog, but they seem to be unrelated. Well, that was later. That was in the sequel and then the oh. Justice Society. There should have never been a sequel to this. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a sort of unofficial <laughs> sequel. Um, right. Or prequel. I don't remember what it was. You know, I think it's a combination of Lois being murdered and probably Perry and Jimmy, but not Ron Troop because he wrote the article. And then the public be like, yeah, we're not on your side, Superman. We don't support you. We think what you're doing is bad. I think it's a pop combination of the people losing faith and, and losing everyone he loved. You know, I can see that mm -hmm. happening. I can see that. Sure. I can see being driven into, into exile from that. The world not being what he thinks it is anymore. And he lost every, like, real connection he had to the humanity and, and you know, lost hope and, and all that. And ultimately, it's all a metaphor for what's happening in the... In the world in the comics at the time anyway, right? Superman mm -hmm. being driven in exile by all these cooler, younger, newer heroes. You got to start him in that place anyway. I mean, I, I totally get yeah. what you're saying, but I think he's so interesting in this book. Oh, absolutely. It, again, it's, it is not a criticism, but I, you're right. Like, I just, Superman is always, it's the same thing that I like, that you feel when you, when you read Injustice. Mm -hmm. The question is, like, what is the thing that drives Superman to his breaking point? That story, it's about what drives him to become a totalitarian. And this is what would drive him to quit. Right. Because he quits. If you're ever telling a story about Superman, you're describing Superman to somebody, you'd be like, he never gives up hope and he never quits and he always believes in the best. And here they go. But here's what happens if he does. Right. And that's interesting. And so Superman has to return to show the younger heroes the error of their ways and thus bringing back many of the other heroes. But it's not that simple. There's a split in the old heroes. There's Batman's side of the more street-level grounded heroes who never sort of give up the fight and don't buy into what's happening with Superman's group. And then there's Superman and Wonder Woman on the other side who um, want to take the fight directly to the other heroes and either bring them to their side or put them in a gulag. It's very sort of Civil War-y in, in a way. So you've got sort of three factions going here, plus the Mankind Liberation Front, led by Lex Luthor, and a bunch of villains, including, I guess, Damian Wayne. Yeah, I looked that up. He's the Elseworlds Damian Wayne. Right. I sort of read about it. Like, at the end, I was like, oh, wait, that's supposed to be Damian. Well, not Damian, because Damian didn't exist, but it was the son of right. Tali and Bruce, and so basically right. Damian. But his name is Ibn. 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 Which makes more sense than Damian, quite honest with you. Sure. He popped up, I went, oh, right, that's the son of Bruce and Todd's Damian. Right. Wasn't Ollie Queen at that meeting, too? No, that was King from the Royal Flesh King. They all have the same oh, okay. haircut. Yeah, yeah. Here's my side note, I guess, is yeah. that first time I read it, I didn't know who the fuck any of these people were. Right. Like, I had a brief knowledge of DC. You know, I knew I knew the main players, but there's so much going on here. This time, I, I obviously took in a lot more, but there's actually so much happening. Oh, yeah. That if you wanted to read the story, then you cannot pay attention to all of it. It's sort of like, it's just, like, if you zoom in on anything, there's going to be a little story going on there. But 
that would also make it much less enjoyable. So you just sort of like notice the things you notice as you go on. And then if you want to afterwards, check the appendix. Oh, yeah. And there's the also like are. some super deep dive, arc, you know, yes, online annotations of the Easter eggs and this little background stories happening and how you can identify people as who they are because they don't tell you straight up who the Flash is or who Green Lantern is. You have to mm-hmm. figure it out based on context clues. And that's as a DC fan like me, this was like, you know, heaven. And two guys, Mark Wade and Alex Ross, who are who have DC deep in their veins, this is like perfect for them. This is like every character, every little body in the background is in there. It's, it's like every DC character ever made almost is in this book so in some form or fashion. And then not only that, begin to tell the future stories of their kids and Dick Grayson and Starfire's kid, who's, you know, somewhat prominent in the background of these stories. And Do you think that this is a good story to give to a non-comic reader? It's almost hard to answer because I know all these things. So... Yeah, I know. But on its surface, it's a story about Superman. It's a Superman story. Sure. They wouldn't know what they wouldn't know, right? So I think possibly. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think the difference between me when I read it is that I knew I didn't know something and that caused confusion. Right. But I mean, if you think about it, like so many people have read Dark Knight Returns who didn't read any comic books and that worked. And I guess this would be like that. Although I do think this is a little more steeped. Yeah, you know, like, that, yeah, but you can read it at whatever level you want, which I think is interesting. Watchmen you can too. just read I mean, it. Watchmen makes, means much more if you know comics really well as opposed to if you don't. But plenty it's of people true. who don't read comics have read and enjoyed Watchmen. Right. But at the same time, most of those characters were not existing things. Sure. So you were starting from scratch. There's allegories. There are metaphors. There are things going on that you may not know about until later. And, and there's... Listen, we're not here to talk about that show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was about to and I had to, I had to pull back. It's interesting. I, it doesn't... It's one of those things, like, I think you can enjoy it in a couple of different ways. And I think that as a reader, you can dive into it as much as you want to. Mm -hmm. You can really revel in it. It's all there. Or you can pull back and you can follow the main threads and you'll be fine, too. It's sort of like it's all you can eat. It's as much as you want or as little as you want. Right. That sort of level of craft is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I would love to have seen the planning sessions for these issues, you know, and the scripts. And they may be, I don't they may be in the absolute issue. I don't know. It's all the way over there. But it's just chock full of nuts, as they as they say. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's got everything. But there were times we're reading this and I flew through it, man. I, I was I didn't want sure. I, I was like, oh man, this is so good. Where I was like, Oh, I just really hate the design of Ollie and Dinah's kid. And I was like, But yeah, I'm supposed to. Right? Right. Like, but I kept forgetting that because I was so into the story. I was like, I just wanted her to be cool looking. And I was like, no, oh, never mind. It's just from the nineties. That's the whole point of this this whole thing. So, you know. I just think it's so well considered. The motivations for everyone are so interesting. The role of Captain Marvel, especially with him being on, on my mind right now, I've just seen Shazam Fury of the Gods and how sort of integral part of DC he was basically from this point until, you know, the new 52 started. And obviously he was around before that, but they sort of brought him back. And, you know, he was in the, he was in the Justice Society and all that stuff. So, I mean, just seeing... This feels like it would have been a sort of a rebirth of, of Captain Marvel right, to a certain extent. Right, seeing him done really well, even though he's a villain for most of it. It, it reminds me of a time and a place in comics and DC of where everything was really, again, not great because we just read all the books that are being published, but we're starting to get there. We're getting, you know, we'll have JLA from Grant Morrison and Harry Porter coming soon. At the time, Rucka's doing Batman. Like, it's starting to turn a corner. And two or three years later, we're in a really good place at DC. And yes. This is one of those foundational documents that says this is how DC should be done, ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, it really works in that sense. So... When you're, I mean, I'm trying to think if we've gone over the summary of the thing, but when you think of this, what comes to mind? I mean, it was a seminal sort of read for you back then. It's definitely, you're you're a DC kid through Mm -hmm. and through. Like, if I say to you, Kingdom Come, what thoughts, what memories of this, what sequences, things about this sort of come to mind that stand out as sort of the things that are special about it? 
I mean, almost everything, really. I mean, it, <laughs> I remember scenes. There's a lot I didn't remember because obviously it's, it had been so long. Since. I, I probably mm-hmm. didn't read it since we did the, the video show on it. I don't remember what we talked about in that show. I don't remember anything about it. But, you know, it, it had been well over a decade. And this isn't necessarily answering your question. But, you know, we do our pick of the week show every week. We talk about the week's books. And as, as it is always, most things are fine. Most of them are unmemorable. Most of them are just right. the next chapter in a story you've been following for years. Every once in a while, you get a great one. Every once in a while, I get a really terrible one. For the most part, it's all fine. It's rereading comics like this where I get really jazzed about reading comics in general. Right. You know, I read a book like this, and I'm just like, oh, man, I just want to re- reread everything that I love. Because, you know, it's those great comics that really stick with you for your for your lifetime, really. But, you know, moments like, I can't, you know, who could forget the battle between Captain Marvel and Superman at the end and, the, and him saying Shazam over and over and hitting him with lightning. When I asked you that question, that's what I was thinking of, which is really interesting because that's the first thing I would have said, and that's the first. It's thing It's so said. iconic, and it's also so cinematic. I know we don't want to make everything into yes. a movie, but I can see that in motion, you know. Yeah. With the sound and the music mm-hmm. swelling until the moment where Superman, you know, was able to pull him back into the lightning and turn him back into Billy Bath. Like, it's just such an iconic scene where you just don't see how Superman can possibly win. He's bleeding out of his nose and his ears. It's a great sequence. It's one of those things where every time, again, every time Superman is involved in something, you really don't ever have any doubt. Right. And I think that the way that this was conceived is that it's almost like they had forgotten about Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh no, this guy is every bit as strong as Superman and he's magic. Right. And that's a problem. And Lex Luthor is control of it. And the terrifying zombification of Billy Batson. There's and a smile he gives the first time you see him in that suit. Yeah. And he's like, just like creepy and you're just like, oh shit. It's super creepy. And when he starts yelling Shazam over and over and it's like, it's Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. whack, whack, whack. And you're like, this is it. <laughs> like they're going to, it's not, it's not going to happen. Although in, in that one, it's, it's Luke. He's, he's about to, he's about to kill Vader. Yeah. It's a little backwards, but it's still like, holy shit. Like, there's the fury, there's the energy, yep. there's actual stakes, and, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of comic book action scenes, although not as many as there used to be, but this bit here was staged, and it was at the end of a whole thing. I yep. mean, there's, there's basically battles for two issues with all these sort of characters we didn't know, and, you know, but, like, this was, like, everybody turns to watch, you know, and you're right, the, like, the pacing of it, and the beats of it, and you know, him yelling Shazam over and over again, because that's not what they do. Like, it's so antithetical to the idea of it. And it, it just, I was really floored by that sequence yeah, as a thing that made me feel like, oh, this is actually what superhero comic books are supposed to feel like. This is the apex of that. Yeah, I mean, the, your your heart's in your, in your chest. Well, it's always in your chest, but your heart's like beating in your chest because... <laughs> You know, throat, I believe, is what you wanted to say. Yeah, it's like up in your throat. I don't know. It's one of those things. Even though, you know, in the back of your mind, you know the hero's probably going to win, but still, like, how? Mm-hmm. And this is a book where maybe they, I mean, the heroes win, like I said, but they also lose. I mean, sure. Most of the people get killed by the nuclear bomb that gets dropped by the Blackhawks. Like, there's that shot, of, that haunting shot, or Superman on his knees surrounded by skeletons. So he won. He stopped Captain Marvel and he stopped Lex Luthor and he stopped all the out of control hero villains from the gulag but at what price you know so he wins but yeah does he he almost kills all the humans in the un like it's not a happy ending yeah that's actually that's that's another sequence where i was like i'm having a little bit of a hard time with this that's the only one but again i think he starts at such a a, Mm -hmm. i'll say broken place but maybe and then you know he's literally in a field with all of his most of his he thinks they're all Mm -hmm. dead first of all 
He doesn't know that there's been right. survivors because that's how they stop him at the UN is the survivors appear. He thinks everyone now is dead. He failed. Mm-hmm. He failed. Right. He failed. He failed. So I can see it. I But I had the same thought you did. I was like, ooh, ooh. Would he do this? But then I thought, you know what? He thinks not only does everybody hate him and his friends are dead, but now he's really failed and everyone is dead. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty far over the edge yeah. previously. So and he just been hit, whacked by lightning for half an hour. Yeah, it puts anybody in a bad mood. Touchy. This is one of those things. Like if I was writing it and I was talking to people about it, I think that the thing that's interesting would be that like here's a guy who he knows how to handle power really well. He's great at it. But this is the not the first time, probably the second time, but even more definitive time. Like he lost. He does not have enough power. Mm-hmm to actually control everything because it's really easy for him to back off because he knows he could control everything if he wanted to. And at this point, he lost all control of it. And maybe that's what breaks somebody like that. Right. And I think this is like, what is Superman's breaking point? Like, that's sort of what Superman's story is and how he isn't all powerful and he can't do it alone. And he's got to adjust and he's got to learn. I mean, because like three quarters of the story is him. I mean, well, one quarter of it is him not wanting to be involved. And then half of it is him really doing a bad job <laughs> like really like like his plan is to make a super prison yep. it's designed by scott free yep. and then they're going to capture everyone who isn't with him everybody else in the story is like this is fascism <laughs> but he's like no 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 we're gonna we're teach him how to be good and and it's like it's so destined to fail <laughs> his like, holographic lectures are gonna work yeah it was it was so it was so uh ham-fisted and it's approach that it was quite funny, which again, right. it's a great metaphor for like what people thought was worn out and dated about Superman. Like right. the people are going to react to this and they didn't because, you know, that that's how it worked. And it was almost like, you know, Superman ultimately isn't the one to fix it. Like it's, it can't be just him. It, he just can't rely on his own power and his hope and his faith. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he was failing, which is again, very interesting because that's not a normal Superman story. Right. What did you think of Batman? I did not like the design mm-hmm. of his weird, like... His exoskeleton. He'd had his back broken. Like, that's the deal, right? Yeah, but I, my assumption is he's had everything broken, and now he's an old man. And so everything... Right. He needs his, he needs his exoskeleton to, to move. It's just like, I just was like, that's goofy looking. Like, he'd do better than that. But, <laughs> I, you know, who knows at the time. You know, I think he was Batman. He's the one who didn't lose his faith right. at, at any point. He's the one who never compromised... Or, you know, felt defeated. He's like, you know, even if he is defeated, he keeps going because that's what he does. So it's like, whereas I said Superman, they pushed him to the break. Like Batman, they were like, no, he's Batman. He is through this. Whereas, you know, Clark Kent and and, and Wonder Woman, they went through some shit. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they trick us, right? He initially aligns with Luther because he's, right. he's part of the Mankind Liberation Front. And they, they're, they're sick of all these superheroes messing everything up. And so him and all the street-level people like Ollie Queen and the very, very Bronze Age Dinah Lance with the short brown hair mm-hmm. or black hair, you know, align with Luther. And you think, oh, man. But you also could see it. But... Mm-hmm. Of course, it's all a ruse to suss out Luther's ace up his sleeve, which turns to be Captain Marvel. Uh, now, there's that moment where he, you know, he punches him in the face in the meeting. and I, I like him a lot. He's not the focus of the story. He's he's a very important side piece of the story. It is Superman's story, but I thought Batman's really effective as his antithesis. You know, they mm-hmm. have a lot of shouty conversations in the cave. They work, which is funny because it's like the opposite of what Mark Waite's doing in his, his Batman Superman book now, their relationship. But at the time, they were pretty adversarial. But it was after the fact. So a bunch of shit had happened. So yeah. they were. But Norman McKay is like, what's going on here? And the, and the, the Spectre is going to be like, well, they really do carry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they've been through some shit. And uh, this is sort of what it looks like. And I really like the, like, McKay just like, what the hell is going on here? He's like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Now the most controversial part of the book is Wonder Woman. Ooh. Wonder Woman is something people do not like in this book. Really? Yeah. I don't know if this is the sort of introduction of her more militaristic take. You know, because this is very in line with the Wonder Woman in New Frontier. You know, this is yes. sort of very in line with that version of that character. I don't remember her being... Th- I think I I could definitely be wrong. This was many, many years ago. But I feel like this is sort of the introduction of her, you know, carrying a sword all the time and a shield. Mm-hmm. And becoming, you know, more of the warrior than the princess. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, she was like, you know, Princess Diana. And she, had, you know, she had her lasso. And I feel like after this point, she's more like... The warrior princess, that, like Xena. Or at least that's an option, I think. Yeah, I feel like this is where it sort of became a thing. Because not too long, well, I guess 10 years later, you get New Frontier, which is a very similar one. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been her ever since. Is the, you know, she's got a sword, she's got a shield, she's got you know that side of her. But it's people don't like it. Though, people don't like her in this book. She's the warrior for peace. And there's a little bit like, well, the people of Paradise Island are not happy about it. And I was like, I'm never quite sure where paradise island is coming from like are they four piece are they warriors or what are they you know either way like this went through it and it broke her too so i mean i gotta say out of out of the three of them like the superman stuff i kind of i know where superman's coming from even in the story as they were doing different things with him i was like okay i get what superman is with wonder woman actually again she's a character who is not as well defined historically right i found her really interesting you know she's a god and yep. she had to figure out how to be. And I think that the world, when it broke, broke her to a certain extent. And she's trying to be a bunch of different things at once. You know, she lost her position as ambassador to the world of man. She got laid off. Yeah. No severance. And, and they took her crown. No healthcare. No cobra. None. What do you do in that situation? You don't have cobra. No healing. She doesn't need it. The mascara. She's made of clay. Either recently, he, he said it again, or it's been on Earth, but Mark Wade's talked about in interviews about Wonder Woman being the one character at DC, he just, the one major character he just does not have a, a feel for. Mm-hmm. I read an interview before they did the show. He talked to Gail Simone about it, because she said she wrote him an angry letter after this book right. about Wonder Woman. And he said, you know, I've never liked mythological or fantasy characters. He says he hates Thor, because his least favorite DC character is Wonder Woman's least favorite Marvel character is Thor. Right. The warrior for peace thing doesn't make sense in his head. He can't wrap his mind around that. And where he ultimately came down was he needed a foil. He needed a philosophical foil for Superman in the story. Uh-huh. And he decided that it would be most interesting if it was Wonder Woman. Whether that was the idea that then spawned her off into what she is today, which is, you know, the, uh-huh. the, the more militant warrior or not. But that's that's kind of where he came from. With I don't dislike her at all in the story. I never had those thoughts. And I was always a big Wonder Woman fan. I just thought it was an interesting take on her. Like you said, like this is her driven to a a certain point. And to have her be the one who's like, fuck it, I'm getting my sword that can cut atoms and I'm going to go fuck some guys up. Like that was powerful Mm -hmm. at the time because that was so antithetical to what she was in the books. Mm -hmm. If you asked me, you know, back then, like, does this feel like Wonder Woman? I might have had a different, I mean, if I had known, I may have had different. But to me, we've gone through 25 years of... Wonder Woman would be all over the fucking map. Right. So at least this was a take. You know what I mean? Like it was a take on her, which was interesting. And that's kind of all I need. Like, because there is no, oh, well, that's not Wonder Woman. This is Wonder Woman because she's been everything. She, they have no idea what she is. Right. You know, it depends on, on when we are and who's in charge. I'm sure Jeff Johns has an idea about how Wonder Woman is supposed to be, but it's radically different than how she's been written, you know, 50% of the time. So in that context, it's interesting. They're romance. So... I think at the time, it, it didn't weird me out, but I remember at the time being like, Ew. but <laughs> it kind of makes sense because it really isn't like a romance. 
You know, they're no. not in love. There's no passion there. Like every time they kiss, it's described as like completely cold and dispassionate. I don't feel like there's any kind of big statement here. It's more like these are philosophical opposites. They've known each other for decades. And this may be the end. They've sought companionship from each other. They're the last two. There's all that's left. And so, like, who else are you going to be with? It's convenience and partnership and familiarity, and it's not romance. It's survival. Yeah. I guess. And that can blossom. I mean, friends become, you know, romantic partners all the time. Uh I guess that's the implication of the epilogue that came out later. Yeah, no, and I was remembering that that was later, because, you know, but that does tie it up. He says, we move along here. Oh, okay, They, they have formed this kind of relationship, but that's not apparent in the main story. Yeah, and I'm not against it, like... At my no, core. It doesn't not make sense. When they had them as romantic partners in the New 52, I, it just didn't, it just it was just kind of weird because it just came out of nowhere. But like in this story where they're like the last two of, of their kind, kind of, mm-hmm. and they've leaned on each other for emotional support in this story. I can, you know, there's that scene where they're on the satellite and they're throwing rocks at the asteroids. It's almost just like these are two old friends who don't have anyone else to talk to anymore. And they're mm-hmm. a man and a woman. And eventually that sort of spawns into, well... I haven't had sex in 20 years. How do you feel about it? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. It's not like there's this great love that is finally a blossom. It just it feels more utilitarian to me, mm-hmm. which I think works for the story. But there's, you know, respect, love, affection. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. It's just not the other thing. It's not we finally kindled this no. love that we've had forever. That's no. not it. No. So, you've never been a huge Alex Ross guy. I'm not. What did you think of him here? I can appreciate in here that it's... It's fantastically skilled. In fact, I I appreciate him a lot more in a sequential form than a pinup form mm. because it's one thing to do a, a pinup or a cover, and he's he's good. a great cover. Like his his covers are narrative. There's all the Astro City ones. Style wise, it isn't my favorite, but the accomplishment and skill of these pages specifically, mm-hmm. and and they're not. Like it's all painted. It's all I'm uh, photorealistic is the best term I have, but I don't think it's correct. Right. But the dynamism of the layouts and the way that he's taken these realistic figures and put them into comic book poses and positioning and layouts and the pages the way they are is, uh, you know, this it's incomparable. I can't think of another thing that's like this that wasn't just done, you know, with a pencil. You know, and I'm sure, yeah. that, you know, at the base of this is a pencil, but it's it's painted. I, I imagine that every single one of these original pages, you know, is worth, like, if you were to put all the original pages of this book in a stack and find what their value is, like, you could buy a bank. <laughs> I mean, because, and they and they deserve it. Like, it it, yeah. it it deserves to be that way. So, again, like, I don't know, it's one of those things, Eric, this is a bad metaphor, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't like Rush. Mm-hmm. But they're fucking amazing. But you respect them. I respect it's, but it's even more than just respect because there's, there's stuff I like that, you know, I was like, Oh, I get it. I respect it. Like it's fucking impressive. Nobody else can do this. There's nothing, there's nothing like this. Right. This did not exist anywhere. There's people who can paint like this. There's people who can do, but, but the, the full package of the enormous amount of design that went into this, the, I mean, I can't imagine how long each page took. Yeah. It, for it, real. It's insane. I don't know, like, like there's just those things that sometimes things are so... You ever see, like, a, a video or, or about, like, a, a some sort of handmade, super fancy car? You know, mm-hmm. like, they'll take, like, a Jaguar, and they rebuilt every piece on purpose, and every little thing inside it is exactly right, and the interior has this kind of leather here and this button. To, it, like, it's like that. It's so bespoke, and it is so 
I mean, like, I don't, this book doesn't exist in another time by another person. Like, it, yeah. it had to happen in this way. And, and there's a reason, like, <laughs> like, he hasn't done a lot of sequential stuff after this, and I don't blame him. He did that 12-issue Justice right. series, which wasn't as good because it was not as good of a story. Right. right. I mean, I'm a big fan of his, but putting sure. that aside, I really admire the consideration that character design goes into storytelling or character design goes into sort of the look and feel of the theme. I really like mm-hmm. that the heroes are kind of stocky in just how they kind of were originally. You know, they were all built, they mm-hmm. were all sort of based on circus strongmen who weren't like 2% body fat the kind of heroes we have now. It's more like Russell Crowe and Gladiator, right? Like just sort of big, mm-hmm. strong, stocky guys. And, you know, Superman's kind of a stocky. He's kind of just a big dude. Batman walking around in his t-shirt and dad jeans and just looking kind of stocky. Like, I just like the look of them. Mm-hmm. And I like the consideration of little things. And this is probably script too, but like, you know, in the flashback and then the first time we see Superman working on his farm, he's got his stupid 90s ponytail on and then he cuts it off to, for mm-hmm. his return. Like, it's the little iconography like that for delineating the eras of time. Like, we're getting away from what we're seeing in the comics. We're getting back to basics. And, you know, the Red Robin costume design is pretty cool. They tried to make it work in the regular continuity. It didn't work. But it's a cool design. There's some cool things in here. You know? Yeah. Flash. Maybe, maybe put some pants on. But, you know, I like his Mercury Jay Garrick look. It's just oh, there's all kinds of interesting things, consideration going on. Story. I mean, man, his, I love his specter so much. I and mean, it's just a dude in a cloak. But the way that his white skin kind of glows with the way the paint is used... Mm-hmm. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Great shadow work here. Superman's, a lot of times Superman's, you know, in shadow when he talks, which just makes him like ominous. Just really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, the storytelling is really strong. And so, I mean, so much we see, Al- I'm just, we, I, I said it, but we see Alex Ross as a cover guy at this point. Yeah. And to like go back and see the things that made him not just famous, but like legendary. Like you can't, you can't deny it. it like I said, it's not my favorite style. I, I, mm-hmm. I like a different thing, but holy shit. Right, you know, like, like you, there's, you can't knock this at one bit. Like, yeah, I can say nothing bad about this. Right, you know, like in terms of comic book interiors and storytelling and and you know sequential art, there's no half ass. He's one and a half asses, He's full ass, <laughs> possibly two whole asses. That's yeah. how much ass is in this. There's a couple of pages where it's just like it's like incredibly crazy. The layouts are <laughs> nuts. There's like a million characters in it, but it kind of so it's kind of okay. You know, for the most part, yeah, the stuff that's in the foreground is the important thing. Everything else is just back matter for people on the internet to pick apart, which didn't really exist yeah. so much back then. And kind of, but not really. You know, the <laughs> stuff that's in the foreground, that's the stuff to worry about. The rest of it's just like him cramming in as many Easter eggs as he possibly can. Yeah, and you can you can have it if you want it, or you can right. not have it. I like that it's there, but it doesn't need to be. I would eat at that restaurant. I feel like I did eat at that restaurant. I mean, the food sounds terrible. They can't even cook a steak. No, but you know. I also, I, d- I will say if if I had any problem with anything, this whole thing, it was Batman ordering a well done steak. I was like, the fuck is that? <laughs> and then I was like, there's probably some utilitarian reason that he would do that. Like that way, he yeah. can't be poisoned. He doesn't want to get sick. <laughs> yeah. So did you? So I can't really ask you about when you initially read it, but I guess reading it now, do you know who the Flash is? Do you know who Green Lantern is? Do you know these the answers to these questions? Do you, wait, what do you mean? Which versions of them there Oh. Are? 
Uh, not really. I mean, I like I would, but I wasn't really paying attention to it as much probably when I was reading, but I don't know that it stuck with me. So I know that Green Lantern was Alan Scott, which yeah. was kind of surprising. Uh, and I went, I did at the end of it, even though I, I sort of consciously tried not to, I did go through the, the this version of the book, this little gallery of, mm. you know, each of the characters and the designs and sort of who they are and where they're at in the story, which I did not need mm-hmm. to read the book, but it was kind of interesting after the fact, just as a comic book historian type of point of view is the flash not barry or wally flash is wally okay i love this flash it's one of my favorite ideas in it is that he just sped up and just <laughs> does everything he's with the phantom of keystone city or whatever is how yeah. they said it and he's like he's never in focus he's always in a blur uh, that was fantastic uh, i really is donna like troy part. not a full god wonder woman i don't know i don't, wonder I don't know what it was whole like you know, ageless, right? She's the only one that still looks like herself from the young days. Everybody else has gotten old and mm-hmm. gray and fat. But Donna Troy was, she looked like she was middle-aged as opposed to Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. So I just couldn't remember if what her origin is. Who knows anymore? They did a whole book about who was Donna Troy. Dr. Midnight had a very big part in this. He kept just showing up in the background. <laughs> I yeah. really liked the whole bit at the beginning of the Sandman with, uh, the, you know, the golden yes. age hero, Sandman, who was originally supposed to be in the role that Norman McKay takes, but he dies, and so that Norman has takes place. I, I love that whole bit. I mean, the construction of this is really well done, where they slowly revealed, you know, plot points. We see scenes from later in the story in the beginning, but we see them in shadow or in the characters are indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. And then slowly but surely it's revealed who we, we've been seeing this whole time. And I thought this was really well constructed. Yeah. There's a reason why we talk about Mark Wade all the time. He's just very good at this. Yeah, I don't take anything away from, from Alex Ross because again, he he came up with the story and wrote the wrote the pitch for it. But I think only these two guys together could have done this book like this. I feel like what Alex Ross did on this is the most amount of work that any person did on one one comic book story. <laughs> I mean, maybe Chris Ware, you know, right? Like, yeah, he has to design all the characters, all their backstories. That's a lot of characters, new costume designs. To put it very simply, too, he inked and colored this as well. And right. like, like in the most complicated way, you know, and, and the amount of design, I mean, but that's one of those things that I, I think I really appreciate about comic artists today is every time you see a new book, you know, every character in there, if they didn't exist already, or they're not using the existing design, like they designed all those things. And that's one thing, design them all. And then right. you have to put all those things into action. So it's one thing to design it, make a pin up, but then you're putting them into motion on a page, interacting with other people you know over and over painting them different colors it's amazing i mean like we i we cannot appreciate comic book artists enough no that's why comics are expensive and i'm fine with that yeah yes it's a lot of work true and you have to be very good to do it in a good way this question has been vexing me since not 96 because the collected edition the one i'm i read for this and what i'm holding now which i'm just terrified of falling apart featured a new scene in which superman batman and wonder woman meet up like a year later at that kitschy superhero diner and that's where we find out Superman and Wonder Woman are still together. Batman is still Batman. He, being Batman, reveals that he knows that Wonder Woman's pregnant. And I'm sure somewhere on the internet it says it. I just don't know where it is. But how does he know she's pregnant? It's close of her temple. And I don't understand what's going on there. I've never known. I was just, I got way deep into the appendix. So I have to go backwards to that now. This came out, I think, like a year after the, because I remember this, this trade came out while we were still in college. I remember buying this. In, I uh, feel like I remember this bit coming out. I thought it was later than that, but it's hard well, to maybe. say. I feel like I remember buying it in college, but memory is crazy. She's got a gray hair, which again, is it her hair? Happen. Is her hair gray? Yeah, I thought it was gray hairs. Is that what happens? That's baby, what I was seeing. Babies start to kill you from the inside. Yeah. Let's see. 
Observation. Ageless Amazon. She's fat and she's got some gray hairs. The weight, sure. He says you put on some pounds. For... Yeah. Yeah, so this, yeah. this trade came out the next year. So hmm. 96 was the single issues and 97 was the trade. I remember buying it. I remember. I have a memory of buying it at Comics for Collectors, whatever that store was called. It's like in New York. Check it out if you're in town. It's nice that Norman and Jim Corrigan got to have a meal together there. Well, they're buddies now. Jim Corrigan goes to his church. That was at the end scene. He was preaching to a full choir in the front row was Jim Corrigan. Yeah, that's awesome. Mark Wade is in the UN. He's one of the people at the UN. I don't remember where Alex Ross is. I think my least favorite thing in this whole book mm-hmm. is when they go into the store first and Superman has long black hair, and I hate it. You mean the, the waiter? It's the waiter, but even so, it's the first thing you see, and I hate it. <laughs> and then behind him is a weird, like, bald guy, tall, I think it's Peter Boyle, is Martian Manhunter, <laughs> cooking without a shirt. Whoever's in the back in the hat, that's somebody. That's got to be Julie Schwartz or somebody. Yeah, there's also full of like celebrities are in this too. Yeah, there's one point where all the heroes are hanging out in the you know hero club when Superman shows up to give them the lowdown. In the background, there's like one panel features Sherlock Holmes, The Shadow, The Question, and Rorschach all hanging out mm-hmm. together. It's just stuff like that. And in by the eating behind them in that diner, there's a bunch of people at a table. Let's see. It's it's when they or, when they order from Aquaman. Basically, they're clearly comic book people. Oh, there's Alex Ross. That's him. Which one is he? He's got the long balding hair. He's eating with Mark Wade. It's when they've offered the Godfatherhood to Batman. He says, "Me." The huh. me word bubbles right over Alex Ross's head. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I see him. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that's Wade. Yeah. Those are not the same people who were sitting behind them in, the, in that position in the other shot, but whatever. Listen, they turned the table over quickly at that place. Yeah, I guess so. I just love this book. I really do. I'm so happy. I still loved it as much on the second, or the, not the second read, but yeah. this, this, on this return trip. I will say, like, I really enjoyed it, and I'm enormously impressed by it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you this is one of my top five books. Sure. It just isn't, but that all has to do with personal taste and aesthetic or whatever but i didn't find any faults with this as i was reading it and this is me we're talking about if you listen to my show i'm good at finding faults and i <laughs> i didn't <laughs> i mean at the time it was a it was a statement it was a thesis statement on what dc should be even though this is dark and dreary and dour it wasn't they weren't saying that mm-hmm. it was at the heart no. of that dark and dreary and dour story was a story of hope and redemption and the values of the old style superhero and that was a powerful thing at the time it just was. This was a dark, dark time in comics. And, you know, it was almost an edgy thing to do, to make mm-hmm. a statement that the books we're putting out now are wrong. And uh, this mm-hmm. is the right way to do it. Uh, and eventually, we, it turned out to be correct itself. But it took a while. It took a couple of years. It took Grant Morrison coming in sure. and really, you know, grabbing DC by the throat and uh, changing all that. So I think there's a reason why Mark Wade seceded Grant Morrison on the Justice League book. You know, it's kind of like... He was one of the guys, that whole group, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, all those guys. Jeff Johns would come in a little bit later, reset the board on DC and fixed it. Was Jeff Johns the fourth guy on 52? 52 was Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Greg Mark, Rucka Wade, and Mark Wade. Wasn't it Jeff Johns? I think so. To me, 52 is the culmination of this era. Because it was like, take all the best writers at this, and they're going to work together in an unprecedented story that they're going to tell one a week, and it should not have worked, but it was a crowning achievement. Yeah, it was, it was Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade. That's amazing. Those are the guys. Those are the guys that yeah. sort of set DC on a good path for well over a decade. And it splintered after that. Yeah. Dan DiDio. <laughs> he did a lot of great stuff. It's just the reboot in 2011 
came from a good place. The execution was bad. The TC has not recovered since from a creative standpoint. But you had, let's take this point, right? 96, just to, just to put a stake in the ground. 96 to 2011, you know, you almost, you know, what, 15 years or so? Mm-hmm. It's a long time. It's a good era. They drove Mark Wade from DC. <laughs> How do you? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, they did that. They did do that. That's like it's like trading Mickey Mantle. It doesn't make sense. Does that baseball metaphor work? Yeah, yeah, sure. That makes sense. Okay, good. I mean, like that guy's with that franchise. Like it's it in doesn't his blood. make sense. It's, it's in his blood. Yes. And you know, he can do Marvel. He has. He's done it lots of times. He's great. You know, he's still among the best there. But I mean, that's a DC guy. I really liked his I'm just looking through the book. I really liked Alex Ross's Orion as Dark Side look. It was weird and creepy with the red. I really like the way that was presented yeah you know you think you're looking at dark side and it's always stands there and i mean he he has to have a terrible haircut to pull it off but fair enough (laughs) new gods have terrible haircuts that's not new no that's canon here's the deal i was reading this book expecting to have a situation where it's very clear that magog was that character from batman and superman world's finest but it is not in this book no it must have been one of the sequels or some prequels because magog's kind of it's, he's kind of a non-issue in this. He's, not, like, he's, he's somebody yeah. they talk about, and then like like he just crumples because there's nothing to him, which is well because he like accidentally splits but, the atom and destroys Kansas in the breadbasket, and right. that's when he realizes he has, he is wrong. And I mean, he has he's a very sort of background arc, right? But he realized it all. He's a red herring. I mean, like you think he's going to yeah. be the big bad, but that's yeah, not no. what it is. But I mean, clearly he wasn't such a shithead, <laughs> like in a way, like it had fucked him up, but he was trying to sort of move on. Without at the end, he's like it, and he's sort of uh, acting as the sort of like the yeah. the sergeant of the platoon that is the new heroes. Mm-hmm. But my point is, after that, we talked about that issue of World's Finest, where they send David was it David off into the multiverse, and he meets he meets Gog. People were like, "Come on, guys, it's Magog from Kingdom Come." That is not clear from this book. Don't come at me with that. No. Come at me with that. That's Magog from the Kingdom or whatever the stupid prequel was mm-hmm. which no one read and or remembers anyway i don't know how you remember that bullshit unless you read this once a year <laughs> unless you lord of the rings christopher lee this shit <laughs> there's a fact that i've known for so long i don't even know if it's true anymore oh yeah christopher lee reads lord of the rings every year so I they were gonna, they were gonna anymore, do a sequel but... called the kingdom it was gonna be a prequel mm-hmm. but uh alex ross and mark wade had a creative falling out over the direction of the books and mark, alex ross left it they said they did it anyway but I remember reading it, but I don't remember a thing about it. That shouldn't have been done. No. Once he's gone, it's gone. I, mean, I look at the cover. I mean, come on, guys. No, I mean, just like even the other shouldn't have been done. Well, you like, know how it, don't, you know how it works. don't explain yeah. how we got there. I do know how it works, but like, that's why they had a creative falling out because they both knew it was a bad idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you done that guy. I was Maycock. Anyway, I could keep talking about this. So let's wrap Ratings. it up. Ratings on Kingdom Come, five out of five. Five. Five out of five. Five out of five. Five out of five. That's ten. I give it a six. I like this maybe occasionally checking in on one of the modern classics that we read a long time ago but haven't read in a while. Yeah. That's kind of I fun. Mean, you can't read comics like we have for twenty something years and not you know, it, you can put those you can put the classics to the test. Like, okay. Right. Now I got a much better handle on my shit. I understand what works and why. I understand the context of stuff. Does this hold up? Kingdom Come shows up, holy shit, it does, and then some. Right. You know, like, this deserves it. 
It'll be really interesting to get to one of those modern classics that doesn't. My feeling is classics tend to be classics for a reason because they hold up. And I think that's the case more often. That could always be the one where you're like, ooh, didn't like that. Comics fans have a tendency to build up things that maybe tickled them a little bit, but weren't necessarily world beaters. Yeah, but I think books like this that hold up yes. for, gen, gen, I guess, a generation and in multiple sure. formats and keep selling perennially, I think, I th- and continue to influence the comics. I mean, people who read this, or maybe only read this, don't know that, that you know, in, in Jeff Johns' Justice Society book, they brought in the Superman from this era. They brought in mm-hmm. Magog and, you know, Mark, Alex yeah. Ross even did some of the art on it. Like, it was a big deal. It just keeps popping up. Books like that, it's hard to you know, it's hard to find them. It's nice in comics that you don't you sh- you don't let things lie. In fact, you're not supposed to. It is the thing to bring things things back and flog them. And you can't even like, oh, it's disrespectful. No, you have to. It's part of the form. It's in the DNA. The thing is, if we go back and we read the Black Lantern saga, it ain't gonna come out with a five. You know, but maybe that miniseries will. Maybe maybe that maybe, uh, maybe that. I mean, I'm looking at my my absolute uh, shelf, which is behind me. Maybe that Sinestro War. But maybe it won't. I don't know. I just realized I just said the thing that's going to make people mad at me. Well, we I had just, to get there I eventually. realized when I was doing it. It's in our DNA. It's in the show's <laughs> DNA. It's, it's in mine anyway. All right. So we'll be back in two months or maybe next month. Who knows? With another Booksplode, depending. Usually the show pairs with our Talksplode interview show, which Josh interviews the creator. Last time it was Ryan North. Next time, who knows? Maybe it'll be uh, Alex Ross. Probably not. But you just never know. You just never know. He doesn't do a lot of press. <laughs> So we'll be back for that. We'll let you know as soon as we know what it is. I think we let you know about this one two months ago. So we'll listen to our Pick of the Week show every week where Josh and I talk about the week's new comics and also tease you about what this show will be about. So it gives you some time to read it. And of course, we yeah. have our Media Splode show. All those Splode shows are unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash fanboy. Thanks for being a patron. Consider being a patron today if you're not one. For as little as $1 a month, help support the show. Anything else? Any final thoughts? Do you think you can quickly reread The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? We'll go do that next time. We have done a prose book before. I mean, that's not I'm a bad just, idea. I'm saying. It came out in 2000. <laughs> it helps that I just finished it. <laughs> I, that's easier for me. I just finished a, a novel, like last night. So mm. I was going to start a new one tonight. But you could possibly convince me to read that instead. I'm saying give it an hour or two and tell me if you're hooked. <laughs> I remember not being hooked right away by that book. That's I true. I love that but... book. I loved it. I remember, but I remember it took me like 50 pages or 100 pages to really get into it. But you know a lot more about the history of comics now than you did then. I know. And history in general. And holy shit, that book. All right, all right. So maybe, maybe that'll be a book we do. Maybe not the next book's blowed, but perhaps the one after. Well, then I'm going to forget. All right, well, we'll <laughs> let's not have this meeting now. I know. I, I was like, you shouldn't be doing this. But really, I'm. this is literally, it's not a plan thing. I'm literally just talking to you because I want to talk to you and with the taps to me. How many pages is it? I don't know. It's... it's tw- <laughs> Robert Evans there for a second? Yeah, it was. That's what I've been doing constantly. I've been waiting for you to come back. Oh, because you've, you've been watching The Offer. That's why. You know I have been. I can t- <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. If I go downstairs, I'm not allowed to do this. But it, it was up to me. I would do it by myself all the time. <laughs> all right. We'll be back next time. Until then, I'm Connor. That's right. I'm at the top of the mountain, baby. <laughs> try to put us to just because we could g- g- get around Talking about my generation Things ain't doing awful Talking about my generation I die before I get old